James 1, and I just particularly want to focus your attention on the 17th verse as we look at this together and meditate upon the fatherhood of God. James 1 verse 17 declares this. It says, Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. And Father, we ask as we open your word as always that right now in a spiritual way you would open our understanding to comprehend these scriptures, that you would make our hearts fertile soil, that you can deposit the good seed of your word into our lives, that it would bear fruit. Lord, we ask that by your spirit you'd make us attentive, alert, and, and even desirous to want to hear what you as the living God would want to say to us. Lord, we ask lovingly you would speak into our hearts words of encouragement and correction and instruction and guidance and that you would reveal yourself to us through your word and by your spirit's ministry. So bless your word as it goes forth this morning. Prepare our hearts and speak to us. We ask expectantly in the wonderful name of Jesus and everyone said, Amen. You know, when you hear the word Father, what images or thoughts perhaps flood into your mind? Now, in a room like this among a group of people, depending upon your personal experiences, there honestly probably may be a wide variety of thoughts, even among a group like this, when you hear the word Father. Yet, can I say this, despite... Whatever thoughts and ideas conjure up in your mind when you hear the word Father, maybe it's positive thoughts, maybe they're negative thoughts for you, can I encourage you still not to lean too heavily upon your own personal ideas that come into your mind when you hear the word Father? And I say it for this reason, because truly there is only one ideal and perfect representation of fatherhood, and that is God. God himself is the only perfect representation of what fatherhood is supposed to be. So whether you've had a great father and you can appreciate that, uh, or whether you have had a horrible experience in someone who was your father and that dynamic there, listen, there is one ideal perfect representation of fatherhood and we can find that as we look at who God is himself. Again, in the Bible, we have references to God metaphorically as a father and here we have in verse 17 of James 1, one of those many references to God as a father and I think there are really some wonderful truths that can be gleaned from this that should make any one of us in this room this morning have really a deeper a desire for wanting to have a relationship with God, allowing him to play that role of a father in our lives so that no matter what your experiences have been with your human father, you would still want to embrace God as a father spiritually in your life as the heavenly father. And I think as well, certainly for those of us who are human fathers, as we look at these things together regarding God and his fatherhood, I think there are certainly lessons for us as well that we can reflect upon from God's fatherhood 
to really glean and greater understanding of what God's ideal is for us in our fatherhood. Now, in James chapter 1, since we're not studying through the book of James currently, just quickly, the background to what James has discussed so far in chapter 1 is basically this. James has talked about trials and difficulties and problems that we all endure and experience on this earth. He's then talked about temptations that solicit us to participate in evil activity and how all of us at times find ourselves being solicited to do what's wrong, tempted to do what's evil and ungodly. And in the midst of that, speaking about those things, trials and temptations, James, in the prior verses to where we're just at now, has just spoken about this danger of beginning to have a wrong perspective about God as we experience trials and temptations, even to the point where we would begin to actually wrongly blame God as if he is the one to be blamed for our struggles with sin or our wrongdoing at times that somehow we should actually shift the blame to him. And in response to that dangerous perception, James then says in verse 16 here, do not be deceived regarding God being the one to blame. He said, don't be deceived, my brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is what's from above. That's what comes down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. So what James is doing here in our verse is he's wanting, if you're a note taker, to emphasize the goodness of God. He's wanting to emphasize the goodness of God in relation to wrong perceptions that people at times hold about God. And he identifies right in the middle of our verse here in verse 17, he identifies God as a father. Now, when you look up the term father, it's defined as one who is responsible for the source and origin of life, as well as because that person's responsible for the source and origin of life, they also should accept responsibility to care for and to help maintain that life in which they are responsible for. And James wants to show us here that as the perfect father, that God is number one, strong, number two, he is giving, and number three, he is stable. And I think we see all three of these things representative of God in our verse here as we sort of unpack it, that God is strong, God is giving, and God is stable. First of all, God as our Father is strong. Notice he identifies him in verse 17 as the Father of lights. The Father of lights. That term lights there that's being used is no doubt a reference to things like the sun, and the moon, and the stellar heavens, the stars that exist. And the Bible is reminding us that God is the father of all these light-bearing entities that exist in creation. That it is God, not a Big Bang theory, not evolution, not some accidental circumstances of fortitudious concurrences or things that... No, God is the one who gave birth to the sun, to the moon, to the stars. He is the origin of those things, the one who created those very light-bearing bodies that exist. Genesis chapter 1, recording God's powerful creation, says this. It says, Then God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night. Let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth. 
And it was so, as God spoke it, the idea is. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness. Now, as James says here, God is the father, the origin of all these light-bearing entities. I want you to just pause for a moment and just consider how powerful, how awesome, and how large and, and incredible and strong things like our sun and the stars are. You know, if you've ever done any research or, you know, from school or whatever of, of you know, the, the magnitude, the power, the awesomeness of things like our sun or the stars that exist in these galaxies and how incredibly awesome they are. And God, who is light, the Bible says, is the source of all those things. In other words, God, by his awesome power, is the one who gave birth to all those light bearing bodies that are in existence. God himself, by his power, spoke them into existence and currently, by his mighty strength, he didn't just bring these light-bearing, these lesser light-bearing bodies into existence. God, as a responsible father, is still taking care of those things. He is still maintaining them and controlling their operations. It's God who supplies the sun with the intensity of its brightness and its incredible heat. It's God who controls the cycles of the rising and the setting of the sun. It's God as a responsible father who stays involved navigating these massive, powerful, moving stars and stellar bodies all around the galaxies, guiding them and directing them and making sure that they don't crash into one another. The idea here to call God the father of lights is clearly to give a picturesque indication of how strong our God is, that he is the father of lights, that he is incredibly powerful, the image and representation of superior and supreme strength. You know, Jeremiah, when he was speaking about the power and awesomeness of God, said this in Jeremiah 32, 17. He said, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing to hard for you there is nothing god says too hard for him jeremiah recognized that that if god could create these things that exist that are so powerful and he could just speak them into existence and control them then he said god there is nothing nothing too hard for you god is a father who has great strength in who he is and what he can do God is strong as he operates as a source of strength, supplying and providing whatever's needed. God as well responsibly serves as a strong caretaker to guide and direct, direct that which he creates and brings into existence. So first of all, we see a perfect heavenly father who is incredibly, incredibly strong. And you know, in light of that, let me just say this, as human fathers I think we ought to try and emulate that. I think as human fathers, we ought to be above uh, you know, uh, other things. I think that we ought to seek to be a source of strength in our household. I think that we ought to be, in a sense, the backbone to our home. That we would be, as men of God, as fathers, strong providers, 
who are willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that we supply and we provide what is necessary for our households. I think as fathers that we should be strong in the area of being an example. That we should be strong examples of what is good and godly, of what is right and righteous. And that we would utilize the power of influence to affect our families, to impact our children. I think that we should be strongly involved in our families' lives, guiding and directing, not just giving you know, birth to something, but that we would stay strongly involved and regularly involved in a way whereby we're exercising our ministry, that we would supply the strength of moral and spiritual conviction for our home, that we would establish, if you would, the structure of our home spiritually that we would set moral boundaries and we would maintain moral boundaries and when somebody transgresses those moral boundaries in our home, that we would step forward and be the ones to have the strength to address that and that we would make sure that God is honored in our home and address violations when he's not honored in our home. I pray by the grace of God and I'm a weak failing man like all the rest of you but I pray by the grace of God that we can represent as fathers to our families a source of of strength that we can be a source of strength where we are recognized as the one who will protect our family if danger arises that we would be a source of strength whereby our family sees us as the one with broad shoulders who will press on and persevere and will carry the weighty pressures of challenges that come into our family that we would have broad shoulders and say hey dad's got broad shoulders he'll bear the weight he'll help us to press on and that when problems arise that as a father we wouldn't bury our heads in the sand or be so disconnected and detached from everything that's going on that we would leave the pressure to our kids and to our wives to try and resolve all the problems but when there's a problem that we would step forward and be the problem solver and that's, that it would be looked upon as that's almost what's expected you know in my household I take it as, as an incredible privilege my kids have said before listen when we have a problem and we want somebody compassionate to talk to about it we talk to mommy because she'll listen and she'll comfort us but then when the problem needs to be solved we come see you and sometimes that's, uh, okay, what's it going to take to solve this problem, you know, or whatever it may be. Or whether it's taking the initiative to say, okay, this problem needs to be solved. And so I'll help you work through it and, and find ways to solve. But that importance of being a source of strength, I think, is just an incredibly vital thing for us as fathers. And let me say this this morning as well. Perhaps, I don't know your experience, perhaps this morning you're... A father has kind of done a weak job in the department of fatherhood. Maybe you're here and your heart is grieved because maybe your father honestly did a pretty weak job in regards to his fatherhood and his role in that way. Well, listen, can I encourage you, don't let that stumble you your entire life. Don't live like a victim your whole life long because maybe you had a weak and a failing father. You don't need to do that. You don't need to live as a victim your whole life. Human beings are sinful. We all fail and falter. Yet, listen, there is a perfect heavenly father who loves you immensely. And he loves adopting spiritual children. 
And he loves to be able to take the role of a father. And I tell you, he can and will strongly fulfill a fatherly role that's needed in every person's life. If you'll let him. If you'll allow him to adopt you and to enter into that relationship where you embrace him as a father and like a humble child depend upon him. So first of all, we see that God as a father is strong. Second of all, we note in our verse that God as a father, secondly, is giving. He's giving. Look again in verse 17 what it says of him. It says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down, it says, from the father. Every gift, every good gift, again, every perfect gift, where is it sourced from? It is from the Father, the Bible says. Now, interesting here, we find the word gift in English twice, and yet, though we find the same English translated word gift, a closer look at the text in the original language shows that actually there are two different Greek words that are used there in that phrase, though it's translated gift twice. Uh, the first time we see the word gift there, it actually is a Greek term that refers actually to the act of giving. The act of giving. It's a verb that's used there that means to give or present. It's the implied idea of, of freely giving, generously supplying. So basically what the Bible is telling us here is it's showing us that the way God gives is good. The way God gives is good. Why? Because it stems from a good and a generous heart as a father. So the way God gives is good. The idea is every good act of giving comes from a father who has a really giving heart. Because that's God's nature. Now that's important to understand. God's nature is not stingy. God is not, you know, up in heaven, reluctant to bless, never wanting to give, holding back. That is the complete opposite of how the Word of God represents who God is. God is a loving, gracious, benevolent, generous Father who is desirous to be giving. God delights in being able to bless and his nature is to be a constant giver. He enjoys giving and supplying and, and having an open hand extended towards his creation and to people whom he greatly loves. You know, it reminds me of a story that I heard was told of two princes who were born and immediately after their birth, while they were still infants, both parents died. So there was a dilemma and those who were other leaders in the kingdom were trying to determine which one of these two infants should then arise to ultimately take the throne and be the next king. And as they were studying the infants laying there in their cribs while they were sleeping, eventually they noticed one minor difference between these two twin infants. One was sleeping with his fists clenched and the other one was sleeping with his hands wide open. And one of the people presented the idea, perhaps we should pick the one who has an open hand because maybe that will reflect the type of king that he'll be as he rises up and rules over our kingdom. And lo and behold, he actually grew up to be a very good and generous king who ultimately ended up taking the title, the king with the open hand. The king with the open hand. And can I say this morning, that's a really great description of who God is. He's a king with an open hand. He, he's, he's a king with an open hand. And the way that he gives is always good because it comes from his generous heart. Now, the second time you find the word give in verse 17, 
That term used in the Greek is more in the noun form, and it's a totally different word, and that does actually refer to the actual gift itself. This refers to what has been supplied or what has been provided. So not only is the way that God gives good, but this is telling us here that what God gives in his gifts will always be, listen, good for us. That what he gives, the actual gift itself, will always be good for us. Not only is God good at giving, he always gives quality gifts. In fact, the text says in verse 17 here, when this term shows up, that not only are his gifts good, but it says every perfect gift. That when God gives a gift, the Bible describes it with the term perfect. And that word perfect is a term that speaks of being complete or lacking nothing. It indicates to perfectly supply exactly what is needed. Here's what the Bible's telling us. That when God gives gifts in our lives from his gracious generosity, his gifts will always contribute to completing the process of his perfect will and plan for our life. That it is always the perfectly suited gift for exactly what we need to contribute to the plan of God that he is accomplishing in our lives. Now, God's gifts may not always be what we expect. Sometimes they might not always be what we even want. You know, like a kid at Christmas, I didn't want this. I, you know, why didn't you? And, and sometimes God bestows gifts into our lives that it may not be even what we want, but listen, because Father knows best, this is one thing that's true, that the way he gives is so good and what he gives is so perfect, he knows what to supply and how to supply it because that is what will bring us into fulfillment of the perfect plan that he has for our life and it always contributes to that. Jesus spoke of this in Matthew 7. He said, what man is there among you if his son asks for bread? We'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. You know, so Jesus says, you know, what father is going to do that? Daddy, I'm hungry. Can I, can, I have a, can I have a little loaf of bread? How about you chew on that rock for a while, kid? You know, Daddy, I'm, I'm hungry. Can, you know, can I have a fish? You caught a fish. Can you cup with a fish? No, how about you? How about a serpent, though? And, and he says, what human father is going to do that? And he says, look, if you being evil, Jesus said, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? God always knows the perfect gift to supply. And notice that's what comes down, it says, from above. The term come down is in the present tense, indicating continually coming down. It speaks, the language does, of that there's a continual flow of God's graciousness coming towards us. And notice, his giving and the best and most perfect gifts come down from above. They don't come from the horizontal, they come from the vertical. The most perfect and important gifts that we need and receive in our life, they have their source from God. Now that's very, very important because oftentimes in life we look to the horizontal to find help. And when we need a solution or something supplied or the fulfillment of our need, we're always looking horizontally. Yet we should be looking vertically. We should be looking from above to the Father. Everyone in this room this morning and on this planet, I don't care if you are rich or you're poor, I don't care if you're young or if you're old, everybody in this room has needs. And you will constantly have needs in your life. It may be material, it may be emotional. We're constant, we're needy people. And the wonderful thing is, is we have a wonderful, gracious, giving, supplying Father 
who wants us when we have a need in our life to look in the right place. Hey, this morning, honestly, where do you look for the answer to your need? Where are you looking for fulfillment for the need that exists in your life? Are you looking within yourself? Well, that's pretty depressing. Or are you looking to other people on the horizontal level? And listen, we may do that, but we have to learn to look to God. And here's one of the primary reasons in light of what we're discussing. Because I may look within myself to supply what I need and muster up what I need and supply it because I can find it in myself. Or we may look to the horizontal and, and, and well, I can go get my need met over here. And here's the thing. The problem is, is when we do that, what then is supplied or the gift somebody else gives me, it really may not be good for me. It, they may give me a gift, but the gift they give me may not be a good gift because it may not contribute to God's purpose in my life. It may not contribute to what God is trying to accomplish in my life. So in a sense, that gift can actually be like a gag gift because it can get me more off track from what God's actually trying to accomplish. Case in point, let's say you have a, a child who is struggling with substance abuse for you to give them a gift and give them the wrong gift of money or you can be enabling something that's going to make their problem worse. That's not a good gift. That's a bad gift. It's a gift, but it's the wrong thing because it doesn't contribute to God's best for their life. And this is why we need to look to God because everything that God gives is perfect because it contributes to his perfect plan for our lives. Hey, in light of that, dads, fathers in this room, we're naturally inclined to be givers. That's our nature. We love our kids. We want to be gracious. We want to bless. And, and we should seek to be providers who even sacrifice to not only give them what they need, but even to bless them at times in gracious ways. But, but, but let us ask the Heavenly Father what is the right thing that we should supply to our children? In each situation, let us seek the wisdom of the Father in heaven and say, Father, what is really the best thing that I could give to my child in this situation? And, and let God direct us with the wisdom so that, like our Father in heaven, we would learn, listen, how to be good givers. That what we give is good and it's the best thing that contributes to God's plan. Now, perhaps, again, this morning, again, maybe you're here and your father abandoned his responsibility to be a provider and a supplier and he left you struggling and needing to look elsewhere because he didn't supply what he should have. Again, can I encourage you this morning? There is a gracious heavenly father who wants to supply for you, who wants to care for you, who is limitless in his resources, he has anything and everything that you need and yet he desires that you and I trust him. To trust. Well, yes, I know God can do this. I know God can do this. But, but this need, listen, whatever the need, God says, trust me. You trust me I can supply that for you? You don't have to go chase it over here. You don't have to compromise and make concessions to try and get it prematurely. No, just trust me. Let me supply that spouse for you. Let me supply that opportunity for you. You don't have to manipulate. Trust me. God wants us to learn to seek him, to trust him, to let him fulfill that fatherly role. Psalm 34.10 says, The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good 
thing. Isaiah 80, or Psalm 84, 11, The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. God is good. God desires to bless and to give, and yet he always gives exactly what is best. And therefore, that means it says we lack no good thing. If you lack something and you've been asking God to give it, as much as you may not want to hear it, maybe it's not good for you. I know we don't like to hear that one. But there are times when my children ask me and I choose to say no. Not because I want to make them mad. None of them might believe that, but that's true. I may say no because maybe I don't think it's good for them. And sometimes, well, Lord, if you love me, why am I lacking this? Lord, I asked, I asked. Lord, why don't I have this? Well, from God's perspective, because he knows the plan and purpose he's working in your life. And that's to get you ready for heaven. Or if you're not saved, to get you on your way to heaven. Listen, I think God would say, you know what? I'm going to withhold something from your life because if I withhold this, it'll make you desperate enough that you will cry out to me and you have nowhere else to look. And maybe if that's what it takes to get you to look to heaven, then I'll go like this for a little bit to get you to reach up to heaven so that I can give you what you really need is a relationship with me in your life or forgiveness or eternal life. And as Christians, sometimes the Lord, again, we may lack something, but maybe because it's not a good thing. We lack no good thing. God always makes sure we have what we need. So we see that God is strong and he's giving. And thirdly, we notice from our verse as well that God as a father, thirdly, we see from our text, is stable. He's stable. Look what James says at the end of the verse. He says he's the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. The father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Now, as we talk about light-bearing bodies, the sun, the stars, those kind of things, we know that as there's movement and changes among the universe, the rotation of the planet, as a result of that, there's variation with the light of the sun. The sun shines at certain points and then the sun's, the sun's light diminishes at certain points. Uh, the, you know, the sun fluctuates daily with different seasons. It casts shadows in different directions even at different times during the day. So there's variation in these amazing light-bearing bodies. But yet the Bible is telling us in contrast, God's not like that. With God, there's no variation with God, there's no deviation. There's no differences. He never alters. He remains consistent. And he never casts different shadows at different times. The Bible says that God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. The idea is there's no variations with God. God never, ever, ever changes. Malachi says this in Malachi 3.6. God says, for I am the Lord, I do not change. God does not change. Listen, God cannot change and God will not change. And I, I'm thankful for that. I appreciate the stability of God. I appreciate the fact that God is a stable rock. This is what we call the immutability of God. He does not vary. He does not change. Unlike people, God's not affected by moods. He never has a bad day. He never gets in a crabby mood. He never, you know, God is never swayed by pressure or peer pressure. God is who he is and who he has always been. God never loses control in a tense moment and just, oops, sorry, I slipped there. I just, that won't happen with God. 
God is a stable, constant rock. He will never fall short in following through on his promises. With God, there is not the slightest measure of inconsistency. There's never any variation in his character and his ways. And I don't know about you, but in a world of constant change, when things are totally unsure in this world, and people are rather shady, no pun intended, I'm really thankful that there is a God to look to who's not shady, who doesn't deviate, who won't be pressured or persuaded by me or by anybody else, who is dependable and reliable and faithful and consistent. It's refreshing to know that there is a God I can look to who is always the same and will never, ever change. Because I'll tell you something, because God is stable, he can bring stability into our lives. And that's an encouraging thing. And as again, as human fathers, I know that we're men at best, but as much as possible, gentlemen, by the grace of God, let us as our Father in heaven seek to reflect stability. May we be as fathers the source of stability in our home, in our families, among our families, with our children, with our grandchildren. May our children and grandchildren look to us as fathers and grandfathers and say, that is the stability in our family. There's stability. And my father doesn't deviate. He doesn't fluctuate. What he says, he does. There's integrity. He honors his word. He remains true to his character. He's reliable. He's dependable. It's an incredible gift that we can give to represent our Father in heaven. And let me say this as I've said all along. Maybe your father fell sure in the department of stability. Maybe your father, in the midst of his weakness, struggled with inconsistency. Maybe he, maybe honestly, maybe honestly your father was the cause of destabilizing your entire existence. And maybe you can trace and say, you know what, because of who my father was, and his dysfunctional role as a father, not only that, my father is the one who destabilized my entire life. My whole life is unstable because of what my father did. He threw me in the midst of a destabilizing condition. Can I say again this morning, please hear me. Don't let the failure of a man consume and control the rest of your life. There is a perfect, ideal Father in Heaven who is a healing replacement for any failing Father who perfectly loves you and He is stable and He is reliable. Let God be your rock. Let God be the perfect Father that you look to that never changes. He'll never fail you. He'll never forsake you. And this morning, please hear my heart, despite what maybe your painful experiences even could have been, please listen. You don't have to live a life of constant instability. I know that the failure of fathers is one of the biggest contributing factors to our prison system, to crime, and to chaotic instability in people's lives. And it does not have to be that way. Because there is a loving Father in heaven who is strong and who is giving and gracious, who can supply any need, and who is stable. And can bring stability into your life. If you submit to him and let him be in control and bring that stability.